Jesus is greater than anything I know. Yeah. Jesus is greater than anything. Cancer, cancer, cancer. Can you hear me? Good morning, church. Good morning. I hope coronavirus hasn't dampened your spirits or made you lose your hope. Jesus is still on the throne. And as long as he's on the throne, things will be okay. Things are okay. So even as we are seated here, let us rest in the fact that God has everything under control. He's not taking antacids in heaven because of coronavirus on earth. So we can settle as well um, and not be anxious. This morning, I am grateful for an opportunity to stand before you and to share God's word. And a song that really ministered to me this uh, morning as we worship the Lord is, um, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Uh, let me walk upon the waters, wherever you would call me. And so even as I have been called this morning to share the word with you, if you're in a situation where you feel like it's deep waters, let my standing here be an encouragement to you that God will enable you to walk on that water. You will not drown. You will not be consumed because the Lord is for you and not against you. This morning, I also want to recognize two important people in my life. First and foremost is my dear husband, who's somewhere in this congregation. I'm not too sure where. And because of the lights, oh, yes, he's up there. Um, and I also want to thank God for my mom, that uh, she has come today to cheer me on on my first day uh, as I share God's word in such a big pulpit. You know, normally we share downstairs. Our pulpit is not this big. Uh, so I'm so grateful for you, mom. And thank you so much, Moses. And may God bless you for all your support. Today, we are continuing with the theme, Jesus is Better. And all the songs that we have sung today really echo the sentiments that I want to share with us today from Hebrews 8. Um, and Hebrews 8 is about three basic things, uh, which I want to share as an introduction. Hebrews is about God. For we who love to do Bible study, one of the methods of doing Bible study is inductive Bible study. And when you use this method, you find that God is repeated 17 times in this chapter of 13 verses. So that tells us that this is about God. Hebrews 8 is about God and what God is doing. But what else do we see in Hebrews 8? We see that he is talking about covenants that he has instituted. But we also see that he talks about God's people. And so that's what we are going to talk about today uh, in our brief sharing. Um, I was having a conversation uh, some time ago, and we were talking about, with this friend of mine, about standards. We were talking about how, you know, our legal standards are the most basic standards that, uh, that are instituted, so that when you're doing poorly, you should at least meet minimum standards, which are legal standards. But as a society, we call one another, we hold one another to greater standards than just legal standards. They are moral standards. Um, so that they are acceptable norms, things that we uh, say are acceptable for us to do as, as a people, as a community, as a nation. And, and those are moral standards that, you know, if someone goes against them, you know, people uh, look at you weirdly like, yeah, what's wrong with you? You know, don't you know this standard? But then we have a higher standard, and that's God's standard. And you see, with God's standard, his standard is perfection. 
no blemish, no fault, perfect. You know, moral standards are debatable. Legal, we could argue them out or we could find our way to uh, negotiate our way, our, our way around them. But God's standards are perfect. And we are seeing um, in this uh, portion of scripture in Hebrews 8 that God, who has a perfect standard, is instituting a new covenant so that we can be able to meet his standard. And so if you're seated here and you feel like God's standard is just way, way out there and something that you can't uh, achieve, I want to encourage you that from this chapter we shall see how God enables us to meet his perfect standard. So three things that we are going to talk about today uh, in our sermon. We are going to talk about the fact that God wants to be in relationship with his people. He wants to be in relationship with us. Second thing uh, that I want us to reflect on is that we cannot meet we cannot meet God's perfect standard, and that is what is required for us to relate with Him. And lastly, we'll see that God actually meets this standard for us. And so we'll dive right in, and we shall begin with our first uh, theme, which with the fact that God wants to be in relationship with us. Now we have said that God has a high standard and that we are imperfect, yeah? And the fact that God wants to have a relationship with us, how do we know? We know it because God institutes covenants. Hebrews 8 talks about a new covenant, but before this new covenant, there are other covenants that have been in play. And that's what I want us to look at briefly. But what is a covenant? In English definition, covenant means an agreement. In a, From a biblical point of view, um, a covenant in, is an agreement between God and his people. God makes promises to his people, and his people respond by their appropriate conduct. But we also see a covenant as a chosen relationship between two parties, which is binding. And we'll see that covenants are actually permanent. They're not contracts that have uh, terms of exit. No, covenants are permanent. We also see that covenants are some are conditional and others are unconditional. And we shall see that in the covenants that we shall look at. So we want to go back in history and see what covenants has God made with his people in the past in his pursuit to relate with them. We see the first covenant that God makes is with Adam in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 2.15 it says, And God told Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat, you will surely die. And he surely did die. Yeah? Because he failed to meet God's standard. He was unable to eat. He was unable to stay away from eating this fruit. And you know the interesting is, thing is, people uh, castigate God uh, with this verse and say, like God is so mean, like how can he just withhold this tree? But we forget the fact that at the beginning of this verse, God says you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve a whole garden of trees except one. But the one that God had told them not to eat, they ate from. And so we see in Hosea uh, chapter 6 verse 7, God saying, as, Ad, as at Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. And so we see God beginning to tell um, mankind what the problem is. You are unfaithful. Adam was unfaithful. But God in his love, in his desiring to have a relationship with us, 
he gives a promise in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is what he's telling the enemy, that you will be defeated by the seed of the woman. And so God continues this redemptive plan uh, that he has promised in Genesis 3.15 to rescue us, uh, that we would be in relationship with him. Because what happened when Adam sinned, we were separated from God. And so we see the next covenant that is instituted by God is the Noahic covenant. This is the covenant that he uh, made between Noah uh, and the people who survived the flood. Uh, and I will read from Genesis uh, chapter 9, verse 7 to 15. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on earth, increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, Now I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And we see this is such a special covenant because God is saying, I will not destroy you. God knows that we are deserving of destruction. But he knows how will he carry out this redemptive plan when he has destroyed us. And so he promises Noah and, and, and creation at that time that we will not be destroyed. So that this redemptive plan has time and space to be enacted and instituted. But an interesting thing with uh, this covenant is that it is made not only with mankind, but with creation. And so we can see that God is interested not only in redeeming men back to himself, but creation back to himself as well. And so we move to our next covenant. God is not tired yet. Tell your neighbor, God hasn't gotten tired God is still pursuing people. And so the next covenant that he institutes is one with Abraham. Um, he tells Abraham, um, rather this covenant is made between Abraham and his seed or his offspring and those who will be born to him by natural birth and also by adoption. And so we see this covenant as one uh, that promises our inclusion at a future time. And what are the features of this covenant? One, Abraham was promised land. Genesis 12:1 said, says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Genesis 17:8, The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God still promising that I want to be your God and you to be my people. But the second thing that uh, God promises Abraham is that he will have numerous offspring. Genesis 12:2 says, I will make you into a 
I will make you into great nations and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Genesis 17, 6-7 says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And the third thing that uh, God promises Abraham is blessings. Blessings for him, but that he would be a blessing to the world. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So this is a very pertinent covenant that we see God making with Abraham. God is saying the things that he will do. He hasn't asked Abraham to do anything. And so we see this as a non-conditional covenant that God is making. The only thing he requires from Abraham, Abraham rather, is that he would keep this sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. Uh, and this sign, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For all, for the generations to, to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with your money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. And so this we see as a shadow of a covenant that is to come. But you know there's a problem. <laughs> you remember the problem that Adam had? It hasn't gone away yet. It is still present. God is still considering human, humanity as unfaithful and sinful. And so these men are not able to keep a standard, to keep the standard of God. And how do we know that? Hebrews chapter 8, um, verse 7 to 8, says, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. God is saying the covenants don't have a problem. It's the people who have a problem. So I still need to enact another covenant so that I am able to to help these people, because they are the problem. I am perfect. My standard is perfect, but these people are not. And so what does God do? He now creates another covenant, which is called the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant. And this covenant is established between God and the people of Israel after God freed them from slavery in Egypt. Moses is the one who led them out. And he served as a mediator of this covenant. And this covenant... Um, was overseen at Mount Sinai. Now God promised that the people of Israel would be his chosen people and he would be their God. And how do we know this? Exodus chapter 6 verse 7 says, I will take you as my people, as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You see, God consistently wants us to know him. He consistently wanted the children uh, of Israel to know him. He wanted the people of old to know him. And he is saying that he will take them as his people so that they would know that he is God. 
But you see, this covenant had conditions. Um, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 to 6, and these are the conditions that we see. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that Moses was asked to speak to the, to the Israelites. So we see that God not only wants to bring people near, but he wants to elevate these people of Israel so that they'd be the poster child for what it means to the, be the people of God. He wanted them to be a reflection of who he is. He wanted them to be a light to the other nations so that when they see these people of Israel, they can see who God is. Because you see, people, God wants people to know him, the children of Israel and the world at large. But these people were still struggling. So what does God do? He institutes a way for them to relate with him in their imperfections. What does he do? He creates a, a sanctuary, the tabernacle, which is a means or rather a place for them to worship. And this tabernacle, it needed to be created exactly as a replica of the one that was in heaven. And Moses was given the instructions on how to build it, how to construct it, so that it would be a mirror image of what of the tabernacle that is in heaven. But God went a step further and created the position of high priest so that this high priest could be a mediator between God and the people, so that people would come to worship God with the help of this high priest, with the enablement of the high priest. So the high priest stood uh, between God and the people. Because these people are sinful, God is holy. So what would the high priest do? Because even he is fallen. Even him is a sinner. So he would come and present offerings for himself to cleanse himself. And then he would offer offerings for the people so that people would worship. And so we see that there is a hindrance of worship in this covenant. People do not have a direct access to God. And so we see, even as um, these people have been given a standard, they have been told to obey God and to keep his covenant. What is this that they needed to obey? They needed to obey the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws. Now, the Ten Commandments, you know, but the Levitical laws, you have no idea. There are 613. If you've read the book of Leviticus, you have an idea of what they needed to do. So it was almost, it was literally impossible for them to keep this standard, for them to be holy. And so God said, surely, if it depends on these people, they will never have a relationship with me. And so we come to our third point, where we see God meeting the standard in this new covenant. And for us to get different elements of this new covenant, now I would like us to come to our key scripture for today, which is Hebrews 8, and I shall read. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in a sanctuary that is the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it, it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. 
If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator. Is, is superior to the old and it is founded on better promises for if there for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant no place would have been sought for another but god found fault with the people and said the time is coming declares the lord when i god will make a new covenant with with the house of israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will know me. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what, was, what is obsolete is aging and will soon disappear. And so we see God coming through to meet God's standard in this new covenant. He's saying, even the old covenant where I instituted worship by a high priest gave you laws, things that you need to do. You are unable to do them. Now I am coming to do the work. He is coming to do that which we were unable to do. It's like, it's like going into an exam room. The examiner knows you fail. There is no way you can pass that exam. So what the examiner does, he brings somebody who knows how to pass that exam and does the exam for you and gets an A and gives you the A. That's what God does in this new covenant. He sets the exam, he sits the exam, and he gives you the A, having done nothing. So let us see what exam this is that God has set and who has passed it and how did they pass it. So we see uh, at the beginning of Hebrews 8, we see that there's the institution of the high priest, which we have seen in the old covenant, who was a mediator between God and man. And this is what verse 1 to 2 says. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. You see, Jesus, who is our high priest, doesn't serve in a physical tabernacle. He serves in the real one, the one from which a picture was created. That's where Jesus is serving. He's serving in the heavenly realms. That's where he's doing his work. But what work is he doing? He's doing a work of speaking on be to God on our behalf. He's telling God, don't judge them. I have met the standard. Don't judge them. I have met the standard. I have met the standard. Look at me. 
when you look at them, look at me, look at what I have done for them. So that we are consistently, before God getting A's, every time God is giving us an A because of the high priest who is serving in the heavenly realms. The second thing that we see is this high priest and what he did. I want us to look at two scriptures in the book of Hebrews, uh, sorry, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4, and Romans 10, 4. So Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4 says, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in his likeness in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. So this is basically what this verse is saying. The law could not help us pass the exam. Jesus was sent in our kind to do the exam on our behalf so that we could pass the exam. So that when Jesus, when God sees us, he sees the righteous requirements have been met. He sees us as perfect because that's his standard. But he also says something in Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see what the old covenant did it created a path for us to reach god but it was through a man but what this new covenant does it gives us a path of true righteousness in the old covenant people would need to do to please god but in this covenant this new covenant god is saying jesus has done and so you have been called righteous because of what jesus has done jesus offered himself he was the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who met all the requirements of the old covenant. And what is the result of that? I today have access, direct access to God. I don't need a high priest. I don't need a high priest. I don't need somebody to come and offer sacrifices for me. It is done. I can approach the Father. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What Jesus has done for us in this new covenant is given us direct access to God. We do not need mediums. We don't need Mary. We don't need, I don't know, fill in the blank. Whatever it is you feel that you need is a medium for you to get to God, Jesus removed it. He said, now you have direct access to God. What a wonderful covenant this is. But it continues, and uh, we are told what uh, other good things that we find in this covenant. And we see this in um, verse eight to, chapter 8, verse 10 to 11. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, the problem with the old covenant, it never removed a consciousness of sin. It just covered sin. It didn't blot out 
the sin so that I don't consider the sin, but I desire righteousness. So what God has done in this new covenant, he has given me a consciousness of righteousness. He has given me his law. He's written it in my mind so that I know. But he's also placed it in my heart so that I can desire. So God has not only given me the written law to obey, but he has put in me the ability to obey that law. He has helped me know it. He's given me a consciousness of what is right. But he's given me a heart that desires to please him and to do that which is right. So in this new covenant, because of Jesus, we can obey God. Tell your neighbor, I can obey God. Tell them, they, I don't think they had, I can obey God. Because you see, the problem is, sometimes we live life, like God's standard is so high. I love Jesus, but hey, how can I obey? Jesus is saying, you can obey. Because He, God has given you his mind and he's given you his heart. But the other thing that I love is that our sins are completely washed away. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. You know, in this point, I think we do a better job at remembering our sins than God. God is saying, I have taken away your sin. In this new covenant, your sin has been taken away. But what do we do? Oh God, do you remember? Okay, you remember last week what I did? God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, do you remember last year? I, so we are the one who keep rem reminding God of the things that we have done. But he has said, your sins, they have been removed. I have jicked them. I can't see them. They're not there. Thank you, Pastor Peter. This, that was a, a moment for amen. But it is okay. You can say it in your heart. So God is saying, I have removed your sin. I have not covered. I have removed it. Because you see, the problem with the old covenant, it just covered. So that sin, it never went away. One sinfulness was ever with them. And so the people always felt condemned. Romans 8 1 says, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're here and you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for you because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because Christ has removed your sin. He has just not covered, He has removed it. And so we have a reason to rejoice. But lastly, what we also see uh, in this new covenant is in verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Another way of looking at this is, not I do. The season for I do ended. Now we are living in the dispensation for Jesus has done. Jesus has done. But when I was thinking about this verse, I was thinking about how God is eternal. You see, when God gave a covenant to Abraham, he said it would be an everlasting covenant. Jesus came and fulfilled that which was promised to Abraham. And Jesus is saying, this covenant I am giving to you, my people, is an everlasting one. It will never end. That means my love for you, my people, will never end. God is saying, I will never tire 
working out for you. I will never tire waiting for you to come. I will never tire because this covenant is an everlasting one. It is never ending. It is everlasting in the present and it shall be everlasting in the future. Oh, what a thing to look forward to, my friends, to an everlasting covenant that we are living out today. So it shall never expire. You see, the old covenant, as we are being told in this verse, it is becoming obsolete and has become obsolete because of Jesus. But the covenant that Jesus gives us in this new covenant is an everlasting one. Jeremiah, a verse in Jeremiah says, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with loving kindness. You know, the things that draw us to God is not his wrath, but it is his love. And so when we see that God's love is everlasting, we can be confident to keep coming, even when we feel incomplete, even when we feel like we are struggling, even when we feel, oh Lord, I was here not too long ago, we keep coming because this covenant is everlasting and his love will never end for you and me. And so what are we to do today? What would God desire for us to do in view of these great and mighty things that he has already done for us? Remember at the beginning I said that a covenant is an agreement between two parties. So God wants us to agree with him. He's, coming, he's calling us to an, a covenant to today, today. Agree with me. Agree with me about the things that I have done. Don't come and bring me the things that you're doing. I have done. You don't need to bring sacrifices. You don't need to. You, you just need to come and accept what I have done. And so God is inviting us to a place of agreement with him. Amos 3.3 says, Do two people, do two work together unless they have agreed to do so? I mean, for us to, uh, to, uh, to work with anyone, there has to be a level of agreement. You know, because agreement brings harmony. And when there's agreement, there's progress. We are, not keep, we, we are not haggling here. We are working together because there's agreement. So God is inviting us to a walk of agreement with him. But what is it that he wants us to agree with? Friends, he wants us to agree with what he has said. This, this word. This is what he wants you and I to agree with. Because you see, many times we come to God's word... And we give excuses as to why we can't agree with what he has said. Lord, that standard is too high for me. Don't you know my weaknesses? Don't you know the struggles we have in our family? God, don't you know my financial estate? Lord, don't you know my health? But God is saying, I am the one who will enable you to obey me. But you must agree that you must obey. So God is asking us, today to agree with him in the area of obedience. Now, obedience doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It just means that I am agreeing with you, Lord, that your law is good. I am agreeing, Lord, that this law, this, this word of God is for me. It's for me. It applies to me, not other people. You know, sometimes we hear someone like, yeah, that someone would be a good one for my friend. She's struggling or he's struggling. God is saying, this word is for you. This message is for you. Not your friend, for you, so that you would obey it. So are you struggling in your obedience today because of the excuses that you're giving? Have you excused yourself from God's standard, 
from obeying God and, and coming to him and asking him to help you because you have elevated your struggles. You know, there's a song that has been sung, I'm just a man. Like, purity. Me, I'm just a man. God, you know. Hey, nikunoma. Vitu kwa ground ni different. But God is saying, no. My standard, my, 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 my standard of purity is not a hint. Don't even look at her lustfully. Don't even pursue him. You know, nowadays, even women are guilty. Hmm? Hmm? Women in the house. Even us women, we are guilty. Oftentimes, we, we point fingers at the men and four of, four of them are pointing at us. Eh? Let me leave that one. But God is saying, whatever excuse you have given for not obeying me, today, it's disqualified because of what my son has done. He, has ena- he will enable you to obey, but you must agree that you must obey. That is the place that God is inviting us to today. First thing, agree that you need to obey. Second thing, you know God loves you and he loves me. But many times we are shackled um, in, in areas of condemnation and shame. Our sins, when we give our lives to Christ, they were rolled away. And then after that, we keep carrying them. We keep carrying them. Oh God, I'm so sinful. We keep carrying the shame and the condemnation. And as a result, we don't have victory in our walk of faith. God is saying today, your sins have been completely washed away. Completely. Whatever that is that has come to mind that you're wondering, Lord, really even that one? Yes, even that one. God has washed it away. He has stripped it. He doesn't remember it. As long as you have confessed it, he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if anyone confesses their sins, I am faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from that unrighteousness. That's what God has said. Are you going to agree with him? He wants us to agree with him that our sins have been washed away. So that when we come to God, we can come to him in confidence. You know, many times, because of our sin and shame, we can't come to God. You're like, what am I bringing to God? So and so knows. You can't come to the house of God to pray because you know the people in the prayer meeting, they know what you've done. But God is saying, look to me. Fix your eyes on me. I am the one. I am the one who has blotted out your transgressions and sins. And so where does this message find you today? Are you seated there? You know, we are talking about people who are children of God. And you're like, wow, I have not even agreed with God about my initial sin. I'm, I'm not his child. Because, you know, he tells us in, in John 1.12, to those who believe them, to those who, re- to those who, you know, I was telling the first service people, when you're standing here, memory verses, they become hazy. There's, there's a way, you know, the lights, the... So please allow me just to read John 1.12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, no human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God is inviting you to new birth, to be a child of him. 
Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. So are you there today? And you're not a new creature in God because you have not come to him. You have not believed in him and you have not received him. This message is for you today. God has been pursuing a relationship with you from the beginning of time so that you would know him, so that you would relate with him and so that he can be your God. Won't you respond to his call today? But God wants someone in this congregation to know that they are loved. You know, this message of the new covenant is a covenant of love. God is not calling us to his God is not a hard task mask hard task master. God is a loving father. And many times we fail to come to God because we see him as a hard task master. Hey, that term, my friends. We see him as a hard task master. And so we resist coming to him because God, we are fearing punishment, but God is inviting us to forgiveness. So are you seated there and you are afraid of God? How can I come? God will just punish me, so I stay away. God is saying, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. I have demonstrated my love. I have done it for you. Just come and agree and accept it. But lastly, are you struggling in obeying God? This one, I am particularly guilty of this one. I oftentimes excuse my bad habits and my lack of obedience because of struggles. And I think it's a female problem. My emotions, I don't feel like forgiving, you know. And so we set ourselves above the word of God because of who we are, because of the things we are not. But God is saying, today I have elevated my word above my name. Won't you do the same? Won't you elevate my word above your struggles? Won't you elevate my word above the things you've done? About, above the work context you're in? About the family you're in? Elevate my word so that you can situation is. He's greater than